Well, something you may not know about me, I am deathly afraid of heights. I've always been afraid of heights, and as I've gotten older, it's gotten worse. Uh, I don't do roller coasters anymore. I felt this obligation when my kids were younger to accompany them, to be brave for them. I, I don't do that anymore. I, I, don't, I just check out. I'm, I'm going to be holding the backpacks, the fanny packs, the purses, whatever it is that people are carrying these days. I'm going to hold that, and they can go enjoy themselves. I just don't enjoy it. Uh, I, I really am not too keen on elevators, although I'll ride an elevator. I'm, uh, the Tower of Terror, it's a different kind of elevator. You should avoid that. What I was really uh, thinking about in, in when I was thinking about this fear of heights is a, a time, a couple of summers that I went for a weekend uh, to a YMCA camp down on the coast with Ava. And one of the key attractions at this YMCA camp is the zip line. If you know what this is, there's a, a large, it's too tall, it's a large structure next to a lake with a very thin metal uh, line, fishing line, going across to the other side. <laughs> and you're expected to put on this harness to make you feel safe, I think. And uh, you stand in a long line full of uh, dads and, and eager, uh, nervous children and dads. And you climb to the top, and you get up there. And what you're hearing as you're approaching the station is the, um, the attendant there, the, the YMCA worker, explaining a kind of a way to get off this platform, a way to get going. Now, you're watching a lot of guys and some girls jump off yelling Geronimo and various things, and you're thinking, I'm not going to do that. So you get up there, and the words, uh, I'll never forget, I haven't forgotten, it's been years, the words of instruction that she gave to the, the kids in front of me, and I was, I was taking it all in. Okay, yeah, I could do that. So you, you have this rope with the pulley thing, it clips onto the wire, and you get out, and there's a small platform, it's too small. You get out to the edge of the platform, and uh, she says... Uh, to sort of sit down in the harness. You just have to kind of rest in the harness and let that harness take your weight. And then when it's got your weight, you just pick up your feet and gravity takes over and you go across and you have a good time. So this morning as we look at Psalm 146, we're going to be thinking about resting in the Lord. We're going to be thinking about how he is going to lift us up. That's the direction that we're going this morning in Psalm 146. So I'm going to read that to us. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Put not your trust in princes, in the Son of Man, in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoner free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourner. He upholds the widow and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever, your God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise the Lord. Really what we're going to be spending our time in this morning is walking through this psalm and seeing how we are directed to focus our hope and our attention on the Lord, to rest our hope in God that he will lift us up. Three points today in our sermon. The first point characterized by the word dust Our first point is dust. That's where the psalmist takes us. He reminds us very clearly that man will perish. We are are transient on this earth. We are going to die. 
He makes that point very strongly in verse 4. He's talking about this prince, this son of man, who offers some form of salvation, some form of hope. He's warning us not to go there. And what he says is, at some point, his breath will depart from him and he will return to the earth. He will return to dust. And it's not just this sort of man who probably depicts uh, an unrighteous path, someone who is offering something away from God. It's not just the unrighteous that will die. Verse 2 says, I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. As long as I live, while I have my being. What he's saying is, he's acknowledging in that verse that he's not always going to live. So while he's alive, he's going to praise the Lord. He's not always going to have his being. He recognizes that even as a righteous man, that he also is going to die. He's going to return to dust. We kind of have to stop at this point and ask ourselves, it's been spoken of already in the service this morning, why is death here and, and what is going on? Well, well, death is here because of sin. We know that if we go back to the beginning of the Bible and look in Genesis 1 and 2, God creates the earth perfectly and the universe and man, giving him his spirit, walking with him in the garden. And then in chapter 3, Adam and Eve rebel, move away from God, and sin enters the world. Sin enters the world, and with sin comes death. We read from Romans 5, 12, this very thing. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, that's Adam, and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sin. That's the reality that we live in today. We have death and sin. And, and sin is this, this inward focus, this inward looking to our own resources. We're, we're looking away from God to our own plans, to our own course, our own salvation. It's inward, it's selfish, it's not God-pointing. So we have man's death and man's sin, and that all points to the fact that we cannot trust in the salvation that man can provide. He says, don't trust in princes, verse 3, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. The, The fact of the matter is we don't control our own destiny. That's the point that the psalmist is making. He has these offers, these plans of salvation, and then they come to nothing. When, his, when he dies, they depart. We can understand this, this instruction not to trust in princes. We can understand it in two general ways. We can understand it corporately and individually. We, we have to remember this psalm was written to the nation of Israel. It's, it's written for them. It's, it's, it's their song book written to God. And so they would have sung this as a nation. They would have been thinking about these things, not trusting in princes. And that should sound familiar to them because God in his scriptures warns the children of Israel over and over and over again not to seek salvation outside of himself. I found a great example in Isaiah 31. I'll read two verses. Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses, who trust in chariots because they are many and in horsemen because they are very strong, But do not look to the Holy One of Israel or consult the Lord. Verse 3. The Ephesians are man and not God. Their horses are flesh and not spirit. When the Lord stretches out his hand, the helper will stumble, and he who is helped will fall, and they will all perish together. That's something that I think the psalmist is getting at here in verse 4 about how his plans perish. If you notice what the, what the instruction was in Isaiah 31, what the warning was is, you're going to trust in Egypt. 
I'm going to stretch out my hand and Egypt will fall. And because you trusted in him, you will also fall. You will also suffer. You will bear the consequences. We, we talk about, you may have heard the phrase, hitching your wagon to something. Be careful what you hitch your wagon to. Be careful what you hitch yourself to, what you tie yourself to. If you're trusting in man and that man stumbles, well, now you're connected to him and you will be pulled down. I think that's what we're getting at. It's not just the, the children of Israel that is in this corporate setting. It's the, the, new, it's the new people. It's the people of God, the, the holy nation that God is creating. It's the church. The church is warned not to trust in man. The church is warned not to trust in a man, a pastor or leaders, but also programs, buildings, trusting in man's ways to build the church, to accomplish God's purposes. Individually, we can get sucked in as well, and this warning is for us as individuals not to trust a man. There are some grand ways that that falls apart spectacularly. Uh, as a kid growing up, we always heard about, and you, a lot of you won't remember this, uh, the young ones, but our, our warning was always, our, our, our epitome of this in following after a man was, was Jonestown. Growing up, Jim Jones and, and drinking the Kool-Aid was the phrase. And, and that, the idea was he was a, a charismatic leader who uh, was preaching a false gospel, and he was in all kinds of mess here in the United States, and he left to create this paradise, this utopia, Jonestown, named after himself, very modest. Jonestown in uh, Guyana. And so uh, it was just a terrible thing, and people began to realize that they were sucked into following him. They had placed their hope in a man, a Messiah figure. And they left and came back to the United States, a, a few of them, and were stirring up all kinds of of dissent and, and trying to get people to realize, because their loved ones were still back down in Jonestown being abused, and it was just terrible living conditions. So a senator and some reporters and cameramen went down there, check it out, interviewed him, and uh, ultimately uh, about 15 folks said that they wanted to leave. And so they headed back out to the airport, and Jim Jones sent his security force, the, the Red Guard, I think he called them, and, and there was a shootout on the tarmac, and the senator died, and a, lot of, a couple of other folks died as well. Well, back at Jonestown, the people that had placed their hope in this man were drinking cyanide-laced Kool-Aid. And they tethered themselves to him instead of God, and they found out that as he perished, they perished as well. That's a really big picture. And when we think about not trusting a man, we don't typically think and go there. But as individuals, we have to keep that in mind. But it really happens to us more subtly. This idea of not putting our trust in man is really when it gets down to the, where the rubber meets the road in our life, it's very subtle. It's things like getting our identity from our job. We have this desire to be liked and be well-known. And so we seek after that affirmation. For adults, it may be identity from a job. Uh, from kids, it may be just our, or in adults, these uh, online Social media, connectedness. How many likes do I get on a photo or how many people retweet what I tweeted and, and this kind of thing. Really underneath that is the, this desire for affirmation that's eating at us and instead of going to God, oftentimes it leaks out in other ways. We seek affirmation. We seek attention from other people. We seek to solve our own financial problems. All these things, these pressures in life force us as individuals to choose whether we're going to follow after man's ways or seek to please the Lord. We have to ask ourselves in what areas of our life that might be going on. What areas in our life are we seeking the Lord? So I would just challenge you to think 
to, to choose something that you think a lot about. Where does your mind go when you're not thinking about whatever your task is? Where does it wander to? What are the problems you're in? There's a list of people later in the psalm, the, the prisoner, the bowed down, the blind, the hungry, the widow, the fatherless. Those, those were defining things in their life. That was who they are. That is where their pain point is. What, what is yours? What difficulties do you wrestle with? Then ask yourself, what remedies have you looked at? What have you tried to alleviate this pain, this burden in your life? What things have you, are you engaged in? And the next step is to consider and try to discern from your own heart where God was in that picture. What, what is your pain point? What have you tried? And then try to discern where is God in all of this? Are you seeking relief through God via the means? In other words, are you working hard at your job to, to fix a financial problem all the while trusting in God, saying, God, you've got to bless this. God, you, you have to move if this is going to work. Or are you going straight to the job and God's nowhere in the picture? That, you have to discern that in your heart. Building our lives on the salvation that man can provide, man's ways, is futile and will return nothing and will cause great damage. The psalmist says, don't trust in man's salvation. Before we move off this point, I I would just like to say that we we can mentally understand this. Yes, man's going to die. Yes, man's sinful. Yes, I can't trust man's ways. We we mentally get that. We want to move on to the next step. But the reality is in our day-to-day life, there is a lot of evidence that we don't really believe that or we're not walking that out really well. We are thinking that we have the capacity, if I just had enough time, if I just had enough resources, if I just had a few more friends or something would fall in place, my circumstances would be such that I actually could solve this problem without God. I think we are are tempted often. Uh, My example of this that I've been wrestling with for several weeks now is just in, if I could be transparent, is just in preaching. I spend way too much time preparing to preach. Way too much time. An inordinate amount of time. And honestly, it doesn't show that much. But uh, I do think that there's a lot of fear driving at me. I want to be affirmed as an elder. And, you know, elders are supposed to be able to teach. And I, and I want to be able to do that. And, and then I see these guys preach, and I want to be able to do it as well as them. And so I sink a lot of time into that. And I'm, I'm really trying to seek the approval of man. And so this... In preparing for the sermon, I figured out how much I wanted to spend, and I spent that, and the rest of the time, I was just trying to rest in God, trying to trust God that he will move in the way that he wants to move through his word. Not trying to make sure that I did it, but just trying in that way, prayerfully give it over to God. So there may be things like that that you ought to consider. Are you trusting in man? Dust, and the second point is glory. Glory. If, if man is transient, then the psalmist says, God is eternal. God is eternal. Verse 6, he's the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and all that's in them. He made them. He created them before there were, they were there. He created them out of nothing. We know that from Genesis 1 as well. He's eternal. He was before all time, unlike man. He keeps faith forever. Verse 6, the Lord will reign forever. Verse 10, he's sovereign. He will reign forever. God's eternal unlike man who's transient. Man is sinful. God is perfect and holy. God is strong and loving. Look 
at how he goes after those that are furthest away. There's this amazing list. The oppressed, the hungry, the prisoner, those who are bowed down under their burdens, those who are in a distant land. I, I like this picture. I, they are in a distant land. They are at the bottom class. They don't speak the language. They don't have the skills. They can't get the job. They're sojourning in a distant land. God sees them. He can reach them. Those that are the hardest to reach, God can reach. The Lord is fair. He is generous. In fact, he's blessing. His blessings overflow. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob. And he is loving. So God is eternal and God is held up as strong and loving. Therefore, we can trust in the Lord's salvation. Look how he says in verse 5, Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob. That's an interesting phrase, God of Jacob. He's, he's pointing back to this covenant that God made with Abram, Isaac, and Jacob. He's, he's pointing back to these promises that were made. He's pointing back to the fact that he chose Abram. And we're going to get to study that together in Genesis. I'm excited about that. He chose. He elected. He chose. His salvation is sure and trustworthy and strong. He is shown to fulfill his promises. He watches constantly, and he sees the prisoner in the deepest dungeon, in the sojourner, in the farthest land. God's salvation is trustworthy. He never forgets. He never forgets his promises. And notice in verse 9, he doesn't forget the wickedness of man in promises to bring them to judgment, to bring them to ruin. God's salvation is trustworthy because he is eternal and he is good. And that's what the psalmist is holding up. Uh, I want to point us to Christ to see how it is that Christ is all these things, that Jesus Christ, come in the flesh, personifies and exemplifies and demonstrates and is this salvation. But first, let's remember from John Chapter 1, verse 14, and I'll read verse 17 and 18. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son, from the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 17. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. We would expect, as we are looking at the life of Christ, to be able to see examples of this kind of salvation. I love the one that we find in Luke chapter 7. We're not going to spend a lot of time here. I just want to lift it up as an illustration for this kind of salvation that God brings. Jesus, verse 11 says, Soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out. The only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came up, and he touched the bier, and the bearers stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. The dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. 
Jesus Christ come, God in the flesh, exemplifies this kind of salvation. In fact, literally reaching out and intersecting the life of a widow and raising a dead man. Seeing her condition, he was moved to compassion. He loved her. There are some objections we might hear. I'm just going to address one. Uh, One objection might be, well, not all the prisoners are set free. I was kind of thinking of that as I read. Well, well, not all the hungry are, are fed. Not all the blind are made to see. I'm not going to go that, in, answer that in depth. I'm just going to say two things regarding that. I acknowledge that is true. But I would say, when you see a person wrongly imprisoned freed, when you see the blind receive sight, when you see the hungry fed, that is the Lord. The psalmist is telling us that is the Lord working. We are to give praise for him. And then ultimately, the second thing I would say is, for those who have faith, they will receive these things. They will receive the the freedom for bondage. They will receive uh, healing from the Lord. I think if you flip back, if you're still in Luke with me, you flip back to chapter 6, this summary of the Beatitudes that we find in Luke, he says, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be satisfied. Uh, Blessed are you who are weeping, who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you, revile you, spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. So their fathers did to the prophets. We have this promise that all things will be made new. We have this faith in Christ. And so there's a fulfillment sometimes now where we receive these things literally, blind literally receiving sight, those who are bowed down being picked up. And then there's this future fulfillment by faith that we see, that God is faithful to supply, to do what he has said he will do, to fulfill his promises. I think of that chapter in Hebrews 11 that talks about the faith of the saints and they didn't receive what had been promised because it was being revealed in Jesus Christ. The, the promise of Messiah took a long time to fulfill, but it was fulfilled faithfully. God provided what he promised. So as we think about the glory of God, I'd like us to think, just for a second, that the thing that I asked you to consider before, where does your mind go? What, what are your pain points? Where, where are you tempted to trust in your own devices? without looking to God? If God is doing all these things, if he's electing, if if he is saving, if he is making promises and keeping them, if he is healing the blind and raising up the dead, can't we trust him? Can't you trust him with the burdens that you carry? What the psalmist wants us to know is building our lives on the eternal, strong, loving Father is the wise thing to do. It is the wise course because God is trustworthy. Man is dust. God is glorious. And my third and final point, the psalmist wants us to praise the Lord for his salvation. Praise the Lord. We see Psalm 146 is the first of the last five psalms, the hallelujah psalms. It it ends the book of Psalms, 150 psalms, it ends with this crescendo of praise. They're called hallelujah psalms because this phrase, praise the Lord, 
which is the first and last thing that you see in each of the last five psalms, is a praise, which transliterates to mean praise the Lord. So we're ending on this note of praise. We're, we're instructed to turn from our attempts to save ourselves. We're instructed to turn away from those things quickly and definitively away from man's salvation. Heeding this warning not to trust princes and turn to God. I want you to see what he says in verse 2. I will praise, no, no, I'm sorry, verse 1. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O my soul. He's, he's instructing his heart. He's telling his heart, he's telling himself, he's telling his soul, praise the Lord. He's, he's telling himself to praise God. Uh, there's often times where we're going to wake up in the morning or we're going to wake up in the month and our heart is cold and we are, we are distant from God. There's, there's nothing there. There's no feeling. Christ seems far away. When, when you realize that, when that, that spark of recognition, that is God moving you to repentance, moving you back to himself. And in that moment, you, you instruct your heart. You preach the gospel to yourself. You instruct yourself to praise the Lord. And you remind yourself to turn away from the things of the world that don't truly offer life and to move to God, to place your hope back in God, to rest in him. We have to preach the truth to ourselves, and we have to rest and meditate in this. And then we set our hope on the Lord. I love, I'm gonna, this is the last reference I'll make, but I love what is said in 1 Timothy chapter 5 about another widow. Generally, just speaking about widows, Paul's talking to Timothy about the funds that the church has to, dis- to distribute to widows. And he said, these widows who have family members let their family take care of them. These other widows who are truly widows, they have given themselves to God and they can be enrolled on the roll. He says, verse 5, she who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplication and prayers night and day. I think that's where we have to get to in our own life in, in wrestling with our trust in man is to understand that that is fruitless. That man cannot help us in our situations, in our struggles, in our uh, needing to be cleansed from sin, salvation, needing to be helped in life, to be, have a life, uh, a life that points to God. Man can't do it. We are truly a widow. We are truly without resources of ourselves. We need to cast ourselves on God. It says in, in 1 Timothy 5, she sets her hope on God. We need to set our hope on on God. We need to sink into that harness for my illustration. We, we need to rest in God, set our hope on God. It says that she continues in supplications night and day. And I think that's the key. As we're wrestling with these things, as we're wrestling with me wrestling with preaching, or are you wrestling with finances or a broken relationship? It's pointing yourself to God in prayer and asking God for help, recognizing that you need to reject the schemes of men, the things that you can do, and set your hope in God. Not that you don't do things, but you're trusting God to move through them. And all that results in praise to God. Praise the Lord, because he is worthy of all our praises. We should lift up our voices. We should thank God for the salvation that he brings. We should bless his holy name. With that, let us pray. Father, I thank you for 
this Psalm 146 and what it has meant to me, how it has instructed my heart, how, Father, it has reminded me that I am dust, not to trust in men, how it has challenged me, Father, not to seek the approval of men, but to seek approval from you. Lord, we are thanking you this morning for the salvation that you've brought us through Jesus Christ, the ways, the countless, countless, countless ways in which you are constantly ministering and providing for us, our very breath and our lungs, the, the food that we had this morning, all that we have, all the good things that we have in our life, Father, are from you. You are truly great and marvelous and worthy of all of our praise. And so we lift you up high. We acknowledge that we constantly are trying and have a, a tr- left a trail of attempts at finding our hope in other things, finding our hope in princes, finding our hope in sons of men who will disappoint us. Lord, would you give us the grace to set our hope in you? I don't know what all the things are that people are burdened with this morning, the, the areas in which they are stretched financially, emotionally, the places that they're seeking affirmation from others. But I pray, Father, that they would reject those things and turn squarely to you, Father, that they would place their hope in you, that they would get their joy and satisfaction from being your child. Lord, would you lift them up? Would you uphold them today, this week? Father, bless them, I pray in Christ's name. Amen.